brothers and sisters, we are gathered here today to hear from the book of Revelations, chapter 6, verse 8. And lo, I looked, and behold, a pale ale, and his name that was on the can was Dale, and Pilsner's followed with him. Let's get after it. Welcome to Driftless Drinks. My name is John. And my name is Mark. And today we're going through two styles of beer, very closely related. We've got the Pilsner and we got the Pale Ale. Mark, what do we got today? Today we have Oscar Blues Dale's Pale. And uh, aptly enough, the Oscar Blues Dale's Pale is in a blue can with a uh, with a red label. Oh, it's very it's very American looking. It is. And as I read down the nice segue, John, I love that. By the way, it's Dale's yeah. Pale Ale. We have the can in my hand. Oscar Blues Brewery, American Pale Ale, six point five percent alcohol by volume, twelve fluid ounces. Turning the can as we go. We have the standard government warning. Let's see, Oscar Blues located in Longmont, Colorado. Oh, they have three breweries. Brevard, North Carolina, and Austin, Texas as well. And that's all that there is on the can. It is a striking blue can with a red label and white lettering. Mm -hmm. That's about as much as you can say. Yeah, it's it's American. It's blues. It's American blues from Oscar Blues. It's Dale's Pale Ale. Why are we doing an ad? This This isn't an ad. I don't know. I don't know. They should be paying us for this. They should. Or well, no, because then it's... We couldn't do this... Uh, it would lack integrity, could... John, if we were to be paid <laughs> by the people that uh, give us the beers to do their reviews or some shit like that. Yeah. We... It's all about the integrity of the show. Yeah. We, we got to keep the integrity of the show, and we can't be bought. We're looking at you, Kyle Thomas. Um, <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah. So you guys have had some conversation, eh? We've we've talked. <laughs> we've met. He's a nice guy. He, he's a nice guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we open this? Good for Kyle. It's good for Kyle. Sh- shall we open it? Yes, we should. All right. Ready? All right. Three, yep. two, one. one. Ooh. That was a. We don't get track. much more. Yeah, we don't get much more synchronized than that. That was pretty good. I think it's because oh. I have high speed internet now, John. That could be it. All right, pouring her in. Okay, so full disclosure, I do not have the double D tulip tonight. I was uh, I was what? given a wonderful glass by uh, by my mother for Christmas, and apparently okay. my reputation precedes me. But I'm gonna hold this up to the camera for you. I have my own chalice these days. Oh, that's nice. It's got the M's. Yeah, and I told her I'd use it on a show. So, this okay. So let's get back to the beer here, real quick. There is quite a foamy head on mine, and I've got you know we both have sixteen ounce glasses, a Mm -hmm. a little bit varying shape here. But yours has exploded out the top with this foamy, frothy. It looks very uh, almost like Cool Whip coming out the top. (laughs) It's it's Cool Whip. It's uh, it looks like it's gonna go right in the stash. But nice, nice big bubbles. The, the head on it's beautifully pillowy. The color on this is this wonderful light amber color. 
which is indicative of a, of a good pale. I would say it has a rich amber. I wouldn't say yellow. Nope. So just kind of go towards amber off of yellow. It is very ambery. If ever there was an amber color to be measured or to be the uh, yardstick for amber coloring, this would be the beer with that color. I have no idea okay. what I just said. I hope it. <laughs> I, I I was wondering too, but we're, I'm in. Yeah. I'm gonna stick a nose in it. Yeah. Hmm. Very sweet on the nose. Yeah, surprisingly. Like, yeah. It's also like a hint of citrus from the hops. Yeah, the hop the hops is there, but not in a not in a bitter way at all. No, it's almost like uh, Nipa territory of sniffing for hops. You know, where it's, like, juicy and fun and not astringent and yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the New England IPA if for, for those who aren't following the acronym, the uh, initialism. Oh, yeah, sorry. I figured everybody knew Nipa's. The malt is there, but the sweetness is way out in front of it. There's not a lot to the, you know, that's the nice thing about pails is that they, they have a, there's a simplicity to them. Where they don't get overly complex, they're not going to be something that's going to grab your attention unless you choose to pay attention to it like we are. Uh, we should take a temperature. We should get a trusty dusty uh, thermometer that I just uh, pulled out a raw chicken here. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I keep mine in a pork shoulder, so. Good place for it. Uh, all right. Yeah, trichinosis be damned. I'm at 54. 56. So there we go. That there, That's close enough to have the same experience. Yep. Probably a little bit warmer than uh, I would normally start one of these off at, but that's where we're at. See, John and I tend to get these beers out of the refrigerator, and then we sit down, and it's like, all right, let's go. Let's do the show, right? And then uh, <laughs> what happens is we end up telling stories for a half an hour. Yeah. Then we do the show. We, we, we started the show a while back, that's for sure. Yeah, you think the show is wordy now. You should see the unedited version of this. <laughs> We're going to take a break, take a picture for the gram, and uh, we'll be back to, to taste this thing. And that's done. Uh, if you want to see the picture that we just took, you can follow us on Instagram. We also, you can follow us on Twitter if you'd like. And we have a YouTube channel. Be sure to check us out there. Uh, we're here again with Dale's Pale Ale from Oscar Blues. And uh, we've got good temps. Looks good. What do you think? Uh, so we're down the hatch? Is that where we're at? I think we're at that. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's, down we go. Mm. It's really good. It is really good. The, I got to tell you, the first thing that hits me, though, is the hops. It does. Yeah, which I wasn't quite expecting. But there's balance in the malt, too. Yeah. It isn't... A lot of the a lot of the IPAs, the Indie Pale Ales, will, will bite you on the... The hops is really bitter. This one, the hops is forward, but isn't... Isn't bitey. This I would almost put closer to IPA territory. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, that it's a little hop forward. But again, 
Kind of like the nose, where I thought I w- I'm thinking more like, you know, Northeast IPA, and it was citrusy. That followed to me. There's a touch of pininess in it as well, mm-hmm. but not a heavy astringency that sometimes, you know, as you lean into IPA territory, you know, there can be a heavy hop astringency that goes with it, uh, and that's not really there. And then the malt kind of hits you, and there is a certain roundness and a little bit of sweetness to the malt and it cleans up really fantastic i like this this is good the ibus on this the the website doesn't really say much about it matter of fact they're they kind of they have a whole pop-up about the ibus because it really is about perception and they're not wrong um if you actually put this in a lab or something like that i mean the style says somewhere between like 30 and 50 ibus so there's going to be a little bitterness to it but it's going to have a lot to do with what you had to eat beforehand, what you're pairing it with, as to whether or not you're going to get, you know, how, how much of that bitterness you're actually going to pull from it. Sure. I have the page up for Dale's Pale Ale. And okay. I read some of it, at least. <laughs> Dale's some Pale Ale is our defiant, proud, voluminously hopped mother of a pale ale. Okay. Marketing <laughs> people got a hold of this. Uh, mother? If you're looking for a fistful of flavor, oh, I think an anthrax is no. Oh. Look no further <laughs> than this hopped up trail ride. Oh, here we go. Marketing. Why? It delivers a hoppy nose and assertive but balanced. Okay, so here's the actual speak. It delivers a hoppy nose and assertive but balanced flavors of pale malts and citrusy floral hops from the first sip to the final swig. And here's where it says 6.5% ABV, 65 IBUs. So I think that initial- wow when we detected the hops early and you were saying mm-hmm. there's typically between 30 and 50, this is really pushing the envelope, I think for the style. And I think that's where I was picking up that it's got more of an IPA vibe to it. We talked about it being a perception and I don't perceive it as that high. I mean, to me, it's, it's lower on the, on the spectrum. And I think it's just because of it's how it balances out. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking the 65 is what they did in the lab. Cause that's how you figure that kind of, well, you can do some calculations, you know, as well. I just in did the, the math gra- in, the, in my brain. Yeah, you, you, yeah. I, I didn't, but I've, you and the brewer did. Yeah. But but to me to me it's it's lower than that. But I, I do I think I think you're absolutely right though when it comes to like the way the beer balances out. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it it leans a little hoppy, but um, that malt back and everything and the way it cleans up is really really nice. Oh, absolutely. And so what I think is really interesting, I, I kind of looked ahead in that paragraph, and one of the things it claims to be is America's first craft canned mountain pale ale. That's a lot of words. Right. It's a lot of words, and the reason they're doing that is because you and I both know who rules the roost as far as the, the OG pale ale. Yeah, that's. Right. we should probably talk about that quickly. I mean... Yeah. Definitely. I, I and you're probably going to give us a little bit of history here in a bit. So I, but from memory, growing up in the golden age of the uh, craft beer explosion, Sierra Nevada have been the OGs in bringing craft brew all the way across the states. I mean, there's Sam mm-hmm. Adams has a hand in this too. But like Sierra Nevada's pale ale was like the original American craft brew. Right. They were the ones that basically invented the style and it, i think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention that we had 
pondered over <laughs> drinking a Sierra Nevada Pale, although I think John and I have similar opinions about it. it. It's aged well for the beer that it is, but it does tend to skew a little bit. And that's that's the nice thing about Dale's here is that it really is. <laughs> what was that? Plop. That was a little plop of beer going in. The last plop of beer going. Yeah, I got a chunky one. Yeah, no, it was it was cute. It was a Somebody put a rock in the bottom of that. No, it was just a nice drop. Shall I tell you a little bit about pilsners? We'll get into the short history of pails, and then we'll maybe try this again after it's been sitting for a second or two. Yeah, let's hit a break, and when we come back on the other side, John's going to give us a history lesson. Yes, I shall. And we're back here on Driftless Drinks. We have an Oscar Blues Dale Pale Ale, and it is an American Pale Ale style, but it sounds like American Pale Ales might have something uh, very much in common with the traditional Pilsner style beer. And I think John is going to learn us up on Pilsners and Pales here. John, what do you have from the history adults? (laughs) Well, well, you're right. They, they're very, they're adjacent beers. They're, they don't have a lot specifically in common with the history, but they have a s- similar profile. Um, they're often put together. If you start looking at some of the, like if you go on uh, craftbeer.com or you look at s- some of the uh, the beer judging rules, they'll, yeah. they'll kind of throw these in the same, not in the same category, but in the same vicinity. So, okay. So I, you're probably going to get to this, but like, is there any direct lineage from American pale ales back to Pilsners? There's a an influence. With pale ales, up until about the 1700s, most English beer was just dark. Most beer in general was dark up until about the 1700s. And then in the late 18th century, new malting techniques and roasting techniques came about, and they were able to make a lighter malt. That was helped with high-carbon coke, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a, a coke. Cocaine. It's a type of it's a type of coal. It's oh so right. yeah 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 yeah. So lower lower case C and nothing to do with cane. So <laughs> all right again faster. So the, the coke that they nothing to do with my cocaine. Why is everybody calling you my cocaine? <laughs> no nothing nothing to do with your cocaine. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. So what happens? Because of that, they were able to make a a lighter beer. And because beer had been so dark, this was new, this was cool. About that time, there was actually what was what was called the Citizens Beer Protest in Czechoslovakia. Mm. And this is where we get into Pilsners. All right, so let's talk about Pilsners for a second. Um, in Pilsner, Czechoslovakia, the town was founded in 1295. Most beer was made by the bars who were serving it, by the taverns who were serving it. The thing was that the taverns in Pilsner added a lot of crap to the beer, which made it terrible. And there's reports of things like um, pieces of gallows strands from from like hangman's rope was added to it, was supposed to make it special. They would use dog droppings. Um, that's on record. Um, crushed bones of dead people is on record as having gotten into some of these beers. So they were ter- so they're terrible. So this pr- this went on for a long time, centuries. So in 1838, so we're talking mid 1800s, the town alderman 
were fed up. And so they went out and they spilled 36 barrels of beer. And if you can, that's a lot of beer when you consider, you know, the the beer gardens that were there. So they go through, you know, there was like 260 beer gardens, so it wasn't everybody. But they spill all this beer and then they threaten to keep doing it unless something was done by these these brewers, you know, these, these uh, tavern brewers to fix it. So that was 1838. In January of 1839, the citizens decide that, all right, we're going to create a large brewery. We're going to make a modern brewery. They're doing it in Germany. They're doing it in Belgium. They're doing it, you know, in England. We can do it here. We need to build a brewery. So they hired two guys, two people, two guys, Martin Stetzer, who was an architect, and they hired uh, Josef Grohl. And that's not like Dave Grohl. Really? Uh, this is G-R-O-L-L. Right. Who was a Bavarian brewer? Now, he wasn't a Bavarian brewer right away. He was from Bavaria, but he needed to learn how to do it. So he spent the next few years, while the brewery is being built, learning how to brew beer. And he went all over. And so he actually studied the British malting technique so that he could make a pale malt. So he'd figured out these malting techniques that the English and the, who were doing for the pale ales figured, okay, well, he learned how to do that. And then he decided, okay, I'm going to use local hops and I'm going to use water from the river because Martin uh, Steltzer had actually built the brewery on the river, you know, on the banks of the river so that he could get, use that water, which turned out to be this really nice soft water. So you get this soft water, you get this local hops, this local Pilsner uh, Czechoslovakian hops, and they started making this beer. And this became the OG Pilsner. If you want to try this, just pick up some Pilsner Uruquel, uh, which you can find in most. It's a mass-produced beer. You can get that in, in most good liquor stores. Uh, it's a beautiful product. It's crisp. It's clean. It's light. Pilsners don't have as heavy a hop character. Americans eventually got hold of Pilsners. So if you've ever had a, uh, a Miller Lite or a Miller Genuine Draft, those are both Pilsner styles. I believe I've consumed a Miller or two in my day. I, I, I might have opened one or two. So what happened in the meantime in England as they're dealing with the pale ales, um, anything that was lighter than a porter, and remember porters are dark beers, and if you add more roasted grain um, than you do malt grain, you'll get a really rich porter and that's a stout. So you can get, get an idea of how dark porters and stouts are. Um, anything that was lighter than that was considered a, quote, pale ale. And it became synonymous with the word bitters. So if you go in, if you've seen on TV where somebody orders a bitters, um, they're actually ordering a pale ale is what they're ordering. So that's what you'll get if you order a bitters in England. Um, you'll get a nice pale ale. The, the main ones you get that are pales are the English bitter, the India pale ales, and Belgian pale ales. Those are the main ales you'll get. Um, definitely recommend trying an English bitters. Fuller's makes what's called an ES, ESB, which is an extra special bitters. That one's delicious, especially on tap. Definitely recommend it. Um, so they're going to be maltier, like Dale, uh, Dale's Pale Ale here is. You get this malty character out of it and a more pronounced hop flavor. So the hops kind of pop out at you, which is really nice. Like, like you mentioned, you've got um, Ken Gross, uh, Grossman, who in 1981 was one of the first craft the first popular craft brewers, right after you know it, the law was signed that people could actually brew who weren't the seven big you know breweries in the country that you could do this at home and small breweries could actually exist, which kind of uh, echoing the uh, citizens' 
uprising in uh, <laughs> Czechoslovakia. Similarly, home brewers in America, yep. you know, into the 50s and 60s, major breweries were putting a lot of adjuncts and crap mm-hmm. in our beer here. And, and still so, do. And still we, do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if all that's even really changed. Some of them have gotten yeah. worse. Some of them um, have. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, homebrewers kind of took charge and started passing legislation locally and then on state levels so that they could brew their own beers and they were finding recipes, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, this kind of leads into what you're talking about here. It was a similar, except that we didn't have pitchforks and torches. It was more like, well, hey, uh, we need to pass some laws to make, (laughs) you know, homebrewing and uh, brewing on a micro level legal so that we can sell this stuff because what we're getting for, you know, our major breweries here has fallen well short of expectations at this point. Every time you open a beer, thank Jimmy Carter. He's the one that passed the legislation. So, yeah. It, yeah and we so, love you, Jimmy. We love you, Jimmy. Love you, Jimmy. One of the things that Ken did is that in order to challenge the, those big breweries, he made sure that he, he actually kicked up the alcohol level of it because you know this mass-produced beer has a real low alcohol level he decided he's going to kick up that and he actually kicked up the carbonation it's a fascinating it's fascinating how these things you know grow up grow up and actually morph into a better beer a more accessible beer um and then once corporations get it they kind of go downhill but you know the the independent brewers and the craft brewers really kind of keep, keep the whole the whole thing alive yeah, and I, we've seen that, and we've talked about this, too, at length. Mm-hmm. You know, you see as these uh, small breweries get more and more popular, you know, there was an explosion, you know, probably in the last 15 years, it's major breweries were buying up these smaller brew houses and trying to wrap them in and make them go national and things like that. And you, a lot of things get lost in the process when they're trying to ramp up production that quickly. It has been a little bit of a change in that trend lately with smaller breweries banding together, kind of like making their own little co-ops. I don't think that's what you would call it technically, either brewing together or helping each label out with uh, brews and distribution and things. Yeah, we, we should we should do an episode where we're talking about the whole craft beer, macro beer relationship, because there's a lot to uncover there, a lot to dig into. So, John, thanks for the history of Pilsners. That's a very interesting tale that has been woven over the centuries. And uh, leading into the pale ale that we're drinking here, which is the, once again, the Oscar Blues Dales Pale. It sounds like we have a lot of variety in pales. There are a lot of smaller breweries, especially that that brew pales. Mm-hmm. We're drinking the Dales. Also, the Sierra Nevada, the OGs of the American craft brew movement, which, you know, their most popular brew is their pale ale. Um, there's also stuff from overseas that we can get, imported stuff from Fuller's and the like. So, yeah, just, I guess, keep an eye out for, you know, local pales and also local Pilsners. There are a few craft breweries that make Pilsners mm-hmm. as well. A little bit of an underrated style, in my opinion. Not not enough Pilsners out there, but there are a few that you can find, and I know there are a couple of them around here, and I can't think of oh, any yeah. of them off the top <laughs> of my head. What? But okay. I know I've seen them because I've had some. I think Ben Paddle makes one, um, and I believe, is it Ale Asylum down in Madison? I think they make one too. 
The one that we're completely overlooking, and one that is my wife's favorite, is Moon Man from New Glarus. Oh, that man. that's a no coast pale ale. So that's a pale ale that's very Wisconsin-y. That one, the hops are really pretty forward in my opinion. Yes. Um, I don't. They there's are. so Moon Man is. That's not an opinion. That is fact. The, yeah. the hops are on the nose, right? Yep. Yeah, so that that one's going to be more of a that's going to be more on par with the Sierra Nevada. I think yeah. I think Moonman does a little bit better. Well, I think these are the second thoughts. These are the second, second thoughts are about the same as the first ones. It's just the beer's a little bit warmer. And it it's is almost warmer. gone. I'm at 65. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you took it temperature reading. Yeah, I was just curious. Music. I was just curious. This Dale's Pale Ale. I gotta say, I like the hop. I like the hops, but I also love the fact that there's a beautiful malt balance to it. So it it's a beautifully drinkable beer. So yeah, as we've been kind of drinking through this Dale's Pale, there's a. Uh, Nice amount of lacing on the side, kind of going down. I like watching those, or watching the lacing as you roll it around the glass here a little bit and as you drink through. Mm-hmm. Um, going in for a second taste here, John, now that we've learned our history of Pilsners into Pails, man, this is just a really well-balanced beer. I know we had just talked about Moon Man and Sierra Nevada being a little hop forward, which is typical. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, also hop forward, but... What a nice body and back to this thing. Oh, yeah. Cleans up great, too. And the cool thing about this is that it's it's malty enough that, you know, the cooler months, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down fine. In the summer months, this is going to go with really any good thing you're putting on the grill. This is going to work out nice. This is going to work with any kind of sweet dessert, like especially an apple dessert. It's going to work really nice with it. Oh, yeah. You're speaking my language. When you look at beer pairings kind of anywhere, they're going to talk about, oh, it goes with this kind of cheese. No, any kind of cheese. Beer goes with any kind of cheese. <laughs> right. We're, we're from Wisconsin. We know what the heck we're talking about when it comes to cheese. And beer. And actually sausage and a number of other things. But telling you, this is going to go with a standard cheddar easily. You don't have to go fancy with this stuff, which is the brilliance of a pale ale, is it's just a good, solid standard beer i have some extra super sharp cheddar that i kind of bust out uh for the rest of the six pack here okay so i could see where this would actually be really freaking good with like apple pie Mm -hmm. a slice of cheese Mm -hmm. but for some reason rhubarb comes to mind as well really okay and i don't know like i'd have to try it but in my brain i'm thinking you know like those uh rhubarb like turnover bars or whatever dump cake things (sighs) Oh, like okay. something like that, and one of these. I want to try. I, no, I'm not going to throw it out there and say it's delicious together because this is just how my brain works. Got things going <laughs> on in it right now. As they rattle around, they fall out my mouth sometimes. And what I'm thinking is like a rhubarb dump cake type type deal in a Dale's pail. I want to try that next summer. I'm hungry, John. <laughs> it's time to eat yet. I've, I've noticed. Driftless Drink Studio Recording, courtesy of HPJ Studios in Tomo, Wisconsin. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and like us on Facebook and Instagram, where we feature each episode's brews a week or so ahead of time.
Visit us at driftlessdrinks.com where you can comment on each episode and drink along with us on the Driftless Drinks YouTube channel. Well, that's all we have to say about Pilsners and Pale Ales. Uh, Till next time, my name is John. My name is Mark. Keep a cold one handy for us. Yeah, maybe one of these, huh? We don't need any other final thought besides that line right there. (laughs) Out of complete context is where that has to live. The Nipas and the Deepas and the Dua Lipas? Yeah. One of those is not like the others. This should be in the show. I should have saved that for later. That was a good joke. I just wasted on nobody except for you. (laughs) I love you. Ah, Love you too.